Well, if you're just joining us this week, you are coming in uh, as we are close to ending a series that we've been in for the past several weeks. We're calling the series Beautiful Feet, and we're talking about something uh, that the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament, uh, tells us that God's people should be doing, and that is proclaiming His greatness among the nations and to all people. Uh, Paul says in the book of Romans that the message of the gospel is pretty simple, that you believe in your heart that God raised him from, your de- from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. He says it's a, it's a simple message. Christianity is a simple message. But people can't know the message unless those of us who claim to be Jesus' followers are willing to share the message. And so Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So for several weeks, we've been looking at the characteristics of people who have beautiful feet as we read their stories in the Bible. People who engaged with Jesus in the mission of proclaiming God's goodness uh, to to the nations. And we've been trying to glean from them examples of what we can learn as we seek to be his uh, missionaries in the world. And the first thing that we said several weeks back is that beautiful feet follow Jesus. That followers of Jesus are fishers of men. In other words, you can't really claim to be following Jesus if you don't do the things that Jesus did. And Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so as his followers, we have to be engaged in the same mission. We have to be involved in the same, uh, in the same purpose that Jesus had. The next week we talked about beautiful feet uh, and how they overcome obstacles to take the gospel to where it is needed. That our world is a difficult place and sometimes we have to overcome difficult circumstances and situations in order to reach the people that need to know the gospel and to take them, to carry them, as in the story we read from Mark chapter 2, as these folks carried their paralyzed friend to Jesus and when they couldn't get to Jesus, they dug a hole through the roof that beautiful feet overcome obstacles uh, to share the gospel where it is needed. And then a couple weeks back we said that beautiful feet deliver good news and proclaim peace. We talked about the story from Acts where Philip, uh, Philip was all going about his day and the Holy Spirit interrupted him and said, Philip, I want you to go to this place. And Philip had this encounter, this divine distraction with the Ethiopian eunuch. And I've been praying ever since that you all would have divine distractions. And some of you have emailed me and said, please stop praying for divine distractions. But what we learned from Philip is that divine distractions happen every day. The question is, are you and I tuned in enough to the Holy Spirit to know when they're happening and then to be obedient, to engage in sharing the gospel, the good news that people can have peace with God? And then last week we said that beautiful feet meet people where they are and walk with them toward the Savior. Beautiful feet meet people where they are And walk with them toward the Savior. That it's not enough for us as a church and for Christians to sit in our nice, comfortable sanctuary with the air conditioning and beautiful music among all of our friends and open the doors and holler out, y'all should come in here, It's the weather's fine. That we've got to be more than that. That Jesus went out among the people. He met people in very difficult circumstances. He was willing to go to where they were that they might hear the good news of God's plan of salvation for mankind. And we as a church must be willing to do the same thing. We must be willing to leave this place and go into circumstances uh, that we might not want to be in in order to meet people where they are and then walk them back towards the Savior. And we said this doesn't mean that we try to make people think like us. 
but rather we introduce them to Jesus and that Jesus transforms us, that we can have the mind of Christ as we encounter and meet Jesus. So this week, as we continue our series of Beautiful Feet, I want to just talk about the simple fact that beautiful feet have a story to tell. Beautiful feet have a story to tell. We all love a good story. Uh, it's, it starts really in childhood uh, when we want bedtime stories. Any of you who have kids or grandkids know that a child just loves to hear a, a good story, even if it is a stall tactic for, for bedtime. Uh, people just love good stories. And it, ne- it doesn't end at childhood. As we become adults, part of the reason that uh, Hollywood does so well is because we all love to hear a good story. And all of us have stories to tell. Some of the stories may be embarrassing, some of them may be funny, some of them may be poignant, some of them may be pointless, but we all have stories to tell. And, uh, and, and many times as we engage with people, as we get to know people on deeper levels, we begin to reveal more and more of our story and people get to know us better as they hear our story. Now Jesus was a master storyteller. Uh, his stories, which we look at in the Gospels and we call them parables, always had a spiritual truth, an application about the kingdom of God, and people would gather around him from all over to hear these stories that Jesus told. But it's not just the stories that Jesus told, but also the stories that Jesus created as he interacted with people. The Gospels are full of accounts where people met Jesus, and after they encountered Jesus, they had a story to tell about that encounter. They would be touched and changed in such a profound and significant way that they would tell that story to others. Many of those stories are in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not just the teachings of Jesus, and it's not just the biography of Jesus, but it also contains the stories of many, many people who encountered Jesus and were changed by him. And today I want to look at one of those stories. And we don't even know this woman's name, But her story and her willingness to tell her story changed her entire community just by her willingness to share her story. You can find this in John chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to John chapter 4 as we look at this woman who had beautiful feet as she told her story of meeting Jesus. John chapter 4. Let me set this up as you're finding it. Jesus and his disciples have been in Judea. And they are traveling from Judea back to their home base, which is in Galilee. And if you were to look at a map, you would see the the fastest way to get from Judea to Galilee is straight through a region called Samaria. But good Jews did not travel through Samaria. Samaria was filled with people called Samaritans, and Jews and Samaritans did not get along. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were part Jewish, but then they, their, their ancestors had been, uh, had been crossed with all kinds of people from other nations, and so they were looked down upon because they weren't completely Jewish, but, but it was more than that. It also had to do with their religious practices, because not only had their, had their gene pool been diluted by foreigners, uh, but their, their religion had been changed. They had taken Judaism and all the pagan religions and kind of mixed them up together. And they considered themselves Jews, but good Jews did not consider them Jews. And so good Jews avoided Samaritans and they avoid, avoided the entire region 
of Samaria as well. And so we read this story in John chapter 4, verse 7. Jesus and his disciples are traveling back to Galilee, and they, unlike good Jews of his day, decide to go right through Samaria. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, I find that very interesting because we have other accounts in the Gospels of when Jesus and his fellas were out of food. And every time it happens, Jesus performs a miracle and feeds everybody. He feeds thousands of people. One time it's 4,000, another time it's 5,000. This time he's traveling with just his disciples, just a small group of people, and they're out of food. But Jesus doesn't perform a miracle. Instead, he sends them to buy food. And he doesn't just send a portion of them. He sends the whole group. Because it's almost as if Jesus knew he was about to have a divine appointment with somebody. Now, the person he's about to meet has no idea what's about to happen. But Jesus knows. And Jesus understood, this is an important meeting. I need to get rid of my fellas for just a few minutes. So he sends them off to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, as we've already said. So she immediately picks up on the fact that this is an unusual circumstance. That this Jewish rabbi is speaking to me, a Samaritan. But it's more than just the fact that she's a Samaritan. It's also the fact that she's a woman. Because in this day and age, in this culture, it was completely inappropriate for a man to speak to a woman. If any of you have been with us on uh, any mission trips to the Middle East, it's still that way in parts of the world. Where a, a man would never speak to a woman. And it was certainly true in Jesus' day. Actually, I found a few quotes just to give you an idea how radical Jesus was and how willing Jesus was to overcome social barriers in order to fulfill his mission. I just want you to get a flavor for the way that good Jews in this first century thought about women. This is, and remember, this is not me speaking. I'm quoting, okay? I just want to make sure we got that out there early on. Okay, this is from a first century Jew named Eleazar. He's a rabbi, a well-respected rabbi. Here's what he said. Rather should the words of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman. Whoever teaches his daughter the Torah is like one who teaches her licentiousness. Now, now here's something else. We know that in this, in this part, in this time, there was a prayer a daily prayer of thanksgiving that a jewish man would pray and and here's here's how the prayer went the prayer of thanksgiving praise be to god that he has not created me a gentile praise be god that he has not created me a woman and then now listen he follows that statement up with this praise be to god that he has not created me an ignorant man (laughs) to which we would say maybe he did if you said the previous statement Well, my point here is that Jesus didn't seem to have any problem overcoming the social barriers of speaking to somebody that it was totally inappropriate on two different fronts to speak to. One, because she was Samaritan, and two, because she was a woman. And this woman was absolutely astounded that this Jewish rabbi would be speaking to her. But it's even more astounding than we know. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, 
You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So what what we've learned here is that they are at a historic site. This well that the woman is coming to draw water from was originally dug by Jacob, who is an Old Testament character you can read about in the book of Genesis. Jacob, God changed his name. Does anybody know what he changed his name to? Israel. And that is the name by which the nation is known. So this is a significant place. And Jesus is saying, the water that I have to offer is better. The woman is completely confused. And she's saying, are you telling me that you are more important than Jacob who dug this well? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will bring in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will, be thirst, will, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now this is a powerful, powerful encounter that this woman is having with Jesus. And we the reader don't fully know why it's significant, but we're about to find out. If, if, you've ever, um, if you've ever looked back in history, you know that uh, drawing, getting clean drinking water was a responsibility of women and girls in the home. They would walk for miles and miles to, to get the water. They would do it in groups together. It was sort of a social occasion. All the women would go together, draw the water, and they would carry it back to their homes for the day. It's still this way in most of the world. I remember when I was in Kenya several years ago, as we would uh, go about our our day, uh, we would often see groups of women and young girls walking together with five-gallon buckets uh, to the the local wells. They would draw water. Sometimes they would walk as far as five or ten miles to get their clean water for the day, a five-gallon bucket of water, and carry it all the way back home so that their family would have water to drink. This is the way most of our world lives today, and it's changed very little from this account. But what's significant about this is that it's always done together. The women go about doing this together. And so it was a chore that was dreaded, but it was made somewhat better because at least during that time, you would have friends that you were walking with and you could talk to them and you could, you could uh, keep company with people around you from your community. And so we come back to this story and we realize something is very odd because this woman has gone to the well by herself. It's not just about the daily routine of drawing water that this woman says, give me this water so that I don't have to come and draw from this well anymore. Every trip to the well was a reminder of this woman's isolation and her shame. She went alone because the other women in the town wouldn't go with her. And we're about to find out why. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And like a laser beam, Jesus goes straight to the heart of the issue. You see, this woman's isolation this, this woman's desire not to have to go to the well each and every day was the symptom of a deeper problem. 
It was the symptom of some deep shame that she had. And Jesus goes straight to the core of the reason. And notice what he did. He made a statement of fact without ever passing judgment on her. He made no statement of judgment whatsoever. He simply pointed out what was true. He met her where she was in the truth of her circumstances. And he's drawing her to some higher truth. He brought up the very subject that was the root of her isolation and shame. So many times, you and I want to deal with the symptoms of our problem and not with the core of it. See, we might find ourselves alone. We might find ourselves uh, dealing with addictions. We might find ourselves in a broken relationship. And we want to make the symptom the heart of the issue. And Jesus says, let's move past the symptoms and deal with the real problem at the heart. Your own personal brokenness that has led to your addiction. That has led to your marriage problems. That, that has led to your relationship problems, your parenting problems. That has led to the problems that you're having. Let's just cut straight to the chase and deal with what's really going on. No judgment, just facts. But we're awfully good at hiding the facts, aren't we? We can put on the game face and do what we need to do to get through the day. And while the symptoms of our problems may be obvious to everybody, we want to keep the source of the problem private. This woman had tried this for years and years and years. And so what does she say? Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Because how else would he have known? How else could he have known her, her life story and her situation and her circumstances unless he, were, he was a prophet? So then she goes on and she tries to do to Jesus what we saw Nathaniel try to do to Philip last week. She tries to change the subject. She tries to engage him in a theological debate about where the best place to worship is. The Samaritans believe it's in this place. The Jews believe it's in that place. What do you say? And so she tries to get Jesus off the subject. And finally, she says this in verse, uh, verse 25. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. In other words, I can't understand this now. Let's just change the subject. I don't want to talk about me and my problems. I don't want to talk about my story. I know that, I know that there's a good Bible answer out there. Let's just, let's just change the subject off of me for a little bit and talk about the coming of the Messiah. When he comes, then I'll know all things. And listen to what Jesus said. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. It's time to deal with the real issue because I am, in fact, the Messiah. I have come to reveal all things to you. Now, why this is so significant is because we are in John chapter 4. And up to this point, Jesus has really never declared himself to be the Messiah. Now, he's hinted at it. Other people have suggested it. But here he is, all alone, in a part, of the, a part of the town he shouldn't even be in, talking to a person he should never talk to, let alone not the, just the fact she's a Samaritan, but the fact that she's a woman. And she's not just a woman. She's a woman with a past. She's a woman with a reputation. And of all the places and all the times that Jesus chooses to directly reveal himself as the Messiah, it is to this woman at the well. I'm he. I mean, he says it clearly and directly. I am the Messiah. Notice what happens next in verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, 
what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? You know why I think they didn't ask that? Because I think they'd become accustomed to the fact that Jesus was unconventional in the way he was going to approach people. That Jesus, Jesus didn't abide by the normal standards of, uh, of what, was, what, what was right according to uh, their Jewish customs and cultures. He had a mission to accomplish. It was to seek and to save those who were lost. This woman was lost and she needed to hear the words that he had to say. And so he was willing to engage in this conversation. And they had become used to this. It doesn't mean they liked it. They were still uncomfortable with it. Jesus was always putting them in uncomfortable circumstances and situations as well. But I also think they didn't bring it up because some of them had been where this woman was. I mean, in this group was Matthew the tax collector. It had not been that long ago that Matthew was despised and rejected by all the people. That he had sat at the tax collector's booth, having rejected his family, rejected his religion, rejected his nation, betrayed them to the Roman government by serving as a tax collector. And Jesus walked up and said, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew left it all behind. You see, we all have a story, don't we? We've all been Matthew. We've all been the woman at the well. We all have something that we're ashamed of. And if you're a Christian today, we also have the same story. That it was because Jesus reached out to us in the midst of our brokenness while we were still sinners. And said, come follow me. This is the story. This is the story of redemption. And so they didn't ask any questions. They didn't say anything about it. They just... They just watched to see what would happen. Then, leaving her water jar, now that's a significant statement because she had walked all this way and worked to get all this water, and she's so excited about what's happened, she leaves the water jar behind. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. See, there was a reason this woman had gone to the well alone. It was because everybody in town ignored her. Now, they talked about her, but they didn't talk to her. There were whispers and rumors. I mean, this woman had been rejected by five husbands. She didn't file for any of the divorces. It was illegal for a woman to file for divorce. It means she had been rejected by five different men. And the man she was with now didn't even respect her enough to marry her. She was the talk of the town. And she had experienced rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. And for years and years and years, the people of this town had talked about her. Everybody knew the story, but nobody talked about it publicly until, until she comes busting into town. And all of a sudden, what had been whispered is shouted. And it's not somebody else telling the story. It's her telling the story. You guys need to come meet this guy who told me everything I ever did. I believe he's the Messiah. And the people of the town were so shocked that they all went out to see for themselves. The story had been whispered about and now it was being proclaimed. And she had no problem proclaiming her shame in order for people to know the truth. Our shame becomes his glory When we're willing to tell our story. Our shame becomes his glory when we're willing to tell our story. When we're willing to tell how Jesus rescued us from addiction. When we're willing to talk to a couple going through marital problems and we tell them about our own struggles 
and how, our, how Christ healed our marriage, when we're willing to talk with somebody who's been divorced and tell them, I've been where you are. I know what that's like. The abortion from which you never thought you'd be able to forgive yourself until you experienced Christ's forgiveness. The affair that you didn't think your marriage would overcome and yet because of God's grace you're still together today. The battle to forgive, bankruptcy, financial problems. All these things, all these things that bring so much shame to us. These things that we don't want to talk about. And they're the very things that God can use to touch hearts and change lives. Because when you're willing to share your point of deepest shame... And talk about the one who delivered you from that shame. Great glory is brought to God. And people's lives are altered and changed. And it requires humility, doesn't it? Because none of us want to talk about those stories. I mean, we we learn early on in our Christian walk that once I come to faith in Christ, then i got to put on my church face. And i got to come to church with my 2.5 kids in my car And we're screaming all the way, but when we get out of the car, we've got it all together. Because this is what you do. This is how you live. This is what you project. This is what it means to be a Christian. But it's not how you started. It's not what you were. It's probably not even what you really are. And people know that. So many times I think our world has a problem with Christians sharing their faith because here's what they hear when Christians begin to share their faith. They hear somebody telling them, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. And you need to be like me. But when we're willing to humble ourselves, when we're willing to expose our shame for God's glory, they don't think that anymore, do they? What they see is this is somebody who is just like me. But they've been changed. They've been recreated. They've been made new. How can I be made new? But it doesn't happen if we're not willing to share the story. See, our shame becomes his glory when we're willing to share our story. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony He told me everything I ever did. I love that. They didn't believe in Jesus because they saw miracles. They didn't believe in Jesus because they heard his teaching. They didn't believe in Jesus because they themselves had been healed or experienced anything with Jesus. They believed in Jesus because this woman was willing to expose her shame for God's glory. And they came to believe. Because she was willing to tell her story. Because beautiful feet have a story to tell. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. See, her willingness to be honest and vulnerable made her story so powerful that her story changed people's lives. And that story pointed straight to Jesus. And it eventually changed an entire city because she was willing to tell what Jesus had done for her. How she'd met this man who told her everything she'd ever done and how he'd offered her living water. Listen to what they said to the woman in verse 42. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you've said. Now we have heard for ourselves 
And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. We believe. The woman's story was a starting point for other people's faith journey. And as they encountered Jesus, they began to have stories of their own to tell. This is what we have in common, church. We have our story in common. And there are two stories that I believe every Christian should be prepared to tell. One is God's story. And and I don't mean to get bogged down in theological debates. I mean to get to the heart of the story. And that is that God created us in his image. And sin has separated us from God. But God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That Jesus' death on the cross has paid the price for our sins. And because of the resurrection, we can be promised that we can be reunited with God and have peace with him. If we just believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. That's the story. Know how to tell it. Just that clearly, that directly, tell the story. But there's another story we need to be willing to tell. We need to be willing to tell our own story. You need to be willing to tell your story. And I don't mean for it to be long and drawn out. I mean in about two minutes, tell your story. What were you before Christ? How did you come to know Christ? And what difference has Christ made in your life afterwards? People will argue with you all day long about theology. They will argue all day long about biblical meaning and about history. They cannot argue with you about your experience. This is who I was. And this is who I am. And Jesus made all the difference. I've told this story many times before, but, but just, just as an example, I, I, was, I, was, uh, I came from a family that, that were not Christians uh, growing up. Grandparents, great-grandparents, they weren't, they weren't believers. Uh, my mom was 15 years old when I was born. Uh, my uncle, who, who was in high school, used to work for a farmer after school. That farmer shared the gospel with my uncle. My uncle came to faith in Christ. I still remember when my mom came to faith in Christ and was baptized. And even as a young boy of six or seven, I remember the change our family experienced. How we began to be different. At eight years old at Vacation Bible School, I prayed to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was baptized right here when I was nine years old. And I look back over my family tree brokenness, addiction, pain, abandonment. And I see that Jesus is what has made all the difference. And he can make a difference in your life too. He can give you living water. But listen, listen to me, Christian, if you're here today and you're a Christian, if you continue to mask the shame, if you continue to hide it and bury it and hope that nobody finds out about it, you may be missing the greatest tool God has given you to share about his grace and to make an impact in the lives of other people. And if you're here today and you're not a believer and you find yourself stuck in this place of shame and brokenness, you're in a good place because we've all been there too. Our story is not so different from yours except we have found the one who has given us living water and his name is Jesus. And he wants to do the same thing for you. He wants to write a new story in your life. And all you have to do is believe and receive the gift that God has for you in Jesus Christ. See, our shame becomes his glory when we're willing to tell our story. Let's pray. 
with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to challenge you this morning as we come to this time of invitation not to leave here without making a commitment. For those of you who are believers, a commitment to be willing to humble yourself to share the beautiful story that God has written across the pages of your life. Knowing that God will use that story to transform somebody's life. And if you're here today and you can relate to this woman at the well and you find yourself in a situation of brokenness and isolation and shame, my words to you are just simply the words of Jesus. Ask the one who can give you living water and you'll never be thirsty again. Don't leave here without making a commitment. A commitment to have a new story and to proclaim it to all who would hear. Father, I thank you for this story that's recorded in the gospel. Lord, a woman whose name we don't even know, but whose story has been told time and time again for thousands and thousands of years. And it's a beautiful story because it's one of transformation. And Lord, we can relate to it because it's the story of humanity. It's our story. It's my story. So God, I pray that we would be willing to humble ourselves, to share those points of shame so that you can get the glory for how you've transformed us and have written a new story in our lives. And Lord, for those who are here today and they're like the woman at the well, I pray that today would be the day that they would simply step out and say, I want this living water that is offered by Jesus Christ. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to move in this time of commitment. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.